All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. We're going to be looking there. Um, this passage of Scripture comes from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is a place where a lot of Jesus' teachings have been gathered together and presented in this one uh, kind of a sermon, a collection of a lot of the things that he talked about throughout the course of his ministry, um, probably gave this all in one talk, but probably gave this many times. And, and in this sermon, he talks about a lot of topics. He talks about marriage and divorce. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. He talks about um, uh, being, uh, you know, like religious for the sake of show, uh, and he talks about money. And we're going to talk about money today. We talked about money last week, and we're going to be talking about money today and tomorrow, or next, next Sunday as well. And uh, this is a passage where Jesus gives a teaching on money that I just think is really, um, it's a passage that really examines the heart and, and gets to the heart of, okay, what is your relationship with material wealth? How do you regard um, the economy, the currency, uh, by which you assess how you're doing in life and what's worth what. I was watching this show on, uh, I think it was the History Channel, and the show is called uh, Decoded, I think it is. Anybody heard of this show? It's this guy who has this team of researchers, and they go around the country to these different places, and they investigate sort of mysterious or conspiracy-related uh, sort of, you know, things. And uh, this one particular episode was devoted completely to Fort Knox, okay? And the conspiracy was, are you ready? That there's no gold in Fort Knox. That there's a Fort Knox, and there's really crazy, intense security that protects it, but that there's no gold in Fort Knox, which is problematic if, you know, the dollar is based on how much gold we have in Fort Knox and we don't have any. Um, that's a problem. I think that, uh, well, for one, I'm watching this thing, and I, I couldn't be further from being an economist, i got to tell you. I don't care about numbers. I don't understand numbers. Uh, math doesn't work for me. Finances are, I, I hate money in a lot of ways, and I love money in a lot of ways, too. But I'm watching this thing, and i got to tell you, as they're exploring this, you know, maybe there's no gold in Fort Knox, and it's all part of the whole system is this big Ponzi scheme of, of pretending that there's gold when there, when there isn't. I'm finding my heart rate rising, you know, as I'm watching this thinking, I really hope there's, and how do I find out if there's gold in Fort Knox and who can I call to get an answer to this question? I don't know why I care, but I'm watching this thing and there's this, I'm having this response of, what, what if there isn't? What if, there, what if there's no gold in, in Fort Knox? What, what, is, what is happening? Uh, to the, is my, am I going to lose my house? You know, all these places that we go. And I think our hearts are like Fort Knox, where we have this, this currency that we, we look at our lives and we say, all right, my value, my worth, the strength of my position depends on this currency that I, that I trade in. And we all have different currencies that we trade in, but one of them for all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, is money. It is. It just is. We can say, I'm not a money guy. I don't care about money. I could give all my money away. Fine. But you still, you live in a world where it is inescapable for you. You have to function with cash. 
And what is the place that it holds in your heart? And how do you understand what it gets you? And how do you understand who it makes you? Does it make you anything? So those are the things we want to talk about, is, is the Fort Knox of your own heart. What's, what's in it? And uh, I want to read this passage from Jesus, uh, from Matthew 6, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. Pray with me. Lord, would you help us to see what it is that you're teaching us here through these words? Would you help us to understand what it means to store up treasure uh, in heaven and on earth? Would you help us to understand what it means and why there's this passage that talks about the eye being the lamp of the body? and that going dark and it being great darkness, and how that connects to, um, to what, we, what master we serve, whether it's you or whether it's money. Uh, Lord, would you give us a, a great measure of honesty with ourselves today? Would you protect us from, from uh, being driven or motivated by guilt, but instead would you, would you drive us with the reality that the gospel is true and that you have given us incredible freedom in your grace when our faith is in you? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, so we're talking about money. People ask me sometimes, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And when I say money, I get a reaction from people that's funny to me. And the reaction is kind of the, man, you have a rough job. I wouldn't want to do your job. I'm sorry, you get, you get freaked out when you have to talk about money? And the, an- answer, the honest answer for me is I love to talk about money from the pulpit. And there's a few reasons I love to talk about money from the pulpit. One of them is that I have been really blessed Uh, in the churches that I've been able to work for, uh, to be a part of communities where I know that when we stand up to talk about money, it's not coming from a church that is continually browbeating people to give more and give more and give more and give more. And that we don't have plasma TVs hanging up everywhere, and we don't have a fleet of RVs in the parking lot that we're spending people's offerings on. I, so it's a benefit. It's a, it's a capital for me. You know, It's like we've built up some equity to be able to say, we can talk about money and know that it's not like when we talk about money here, we're continually just trying to brow people, browbeat people to give more money. So that frees me up. But the other thing is that there's just there's something really revealing uh, when we start to think about money. There's just this unvarnished reality that when we look at our checkbooks, when we look at the way that we spend money, the things that we choose to spend it on, it just tells a story. And it tells a story that has an unvarnished truth to it. If, if we all were to bring just, you know, uh, redact out the names and addresses and just bring our bank statements and trade them around the room, and you were to just look through somebody's bank statement not knowing who they are, it would tell you a story of, of where their resources go, what it is that they value the most. I promise you, if you had mine, there would be no money given toward the purchase of cologne, because I don't care how I smell at all, you know, 
Uh, that's not one of the things that I value, but it is for some people. It's, 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 well, I, 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 there'd be a lot of that sort of thing, but you get to know sort of a little bit of the story of what's important, what, what matters when you do this. So I think it's really important for us to talk as Christians about money. And one of the reasons is, is because we all have currency that we trade in, all of us. And so I want to give you a just kind of quickly here at the beginning, three reasons why it is important for us as Christians to talk about money, not just here on Sunday morning, but to be very conversational about money, material wealth, resources. And the first reason is because an unhealthy view of money can be paralyzing, paralyzing, right? It's the rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus, what, what do I need to do to be set eternally. And Jesus tells him, hand over everything you've got. And, and he's par- he par- the man's paralyzed. He goes away sad because he can't. And the reason that he can't is because of how much he has. He just can't. Do- so he's paralyzed. And you may not be a rich young ruler, but here's, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, I remember when my wife and I were first married, and we were living here in, in Nashville, and we had to replace the tires on a car. And I remember the shock of realizing it's $100 per tire to do this. You're taking me to the edge of ruin. You know, how am I supposed to survive that. I'm not made of money. I can't just come up with $400 at any given moment. But that feeling of just the fear, and it's just tires on a car. But what I, where I am in that process is I'm paralyzed with the, my entire world is about to cave in on me for four tires, you know? We get paralyzed, right? You've done that. You've been in that place where you look at money and you look at your life and you look at the incongruency of what you need financially in order to do what it is that you think you need to do and you just think, I can't, I can't live. So we become paralyzed with an unhealthy view of money. Second reason it's important to talk about money is because a healthy view of money can be powerful and redemptive and world-changing in the way that we become generous. And Joel talked about this last week, but if we have a biblically informed view of money, we understand we don't own anything. I don't own anything. I'm a steward of a lot of things. The Lord has been very generous in, in making me the steward of many, many things, but I don't own any of it. I don't own any of it. I've only ever had one provider. He owns everything And when we have a healthy view of money, we go from this place of being financially defensive and protective of what we've got and what we're trying to collect, and we become offensive in the way that we think about money, and we're looking for ways to use the resources that have been entrusted to us to affect gospel-driven, redemptive change. And so it would be great for us to be a congregation of people who have a healthy understanding, a biblically-informed understanding of wealth. The third reason it's important for us to talk about money is because there are, there's really no other subject that gives us a closer look at what we really look to satisfy the deepest parts of our hearts. You have right now a working theology of money. You do. You may not be able to articulate it. You may not know what it is, but you do. You have a working view of what holds value. You have a working view of what you should possess how you should obtain it, why you should obtain it. You have this theology of currency 
And I do too. We all, we all do. Jesus says, this is the treasure you lay up. You know? And a lot of us are doing this and we're looking no further than the time before we're put in a box and laid in the ground. You know, that's kind of the scope, the vision of ourselves as, as people interacting with treasure and resources. But we're not just talking about the accumulation of financial wealth when we talk about laying up treasures. There's these currencies that we trade in that, that aren't always money. We're going to talk about money, but I want you to think just for a little bit beyond that. What's in the Fort Knox of your own, your own life and your heart? What's the currency that you trade in? Because some of us, like we drive through certain parts of this town and we see the mansions on either side of the street and we just feel disgust and resentment and disdain for the extravagance and, the, and just, the, just the wastefulness of all that wealth. But that doesn't mean that you're not a lover of money. <laughs> it just means you love money differently than somebody who may be uber wealthy and building a six-car garage because they have six cars, you know? So what's your currency? Let me give you some examples of the currencies we trade in, and then let's zero in on money. But let's understand some of these other currencies first. The currency of connectedness is one that we have in this city, especially who do I know and who knows me. This is really seductive here because it's kind of the idea that I'm worth who I know right? And so, you know, in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, in the early part of it, there's Ten Commandments. Perhaps you've heard of these. And there's one of them that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? The positive of that command is this, you shall take the name of the Lord your God in earnest with everything that you have and with everything that you are, right? That's the positive of that. The Lord is saying, take my name. Take my name. Don't mess around with it. Don't play with it. Don't treat it like it's, like it's currency, but take my name. When, when the question comes up, who are you? I am a child of the living God. I belong to him. He will never leave me or forsake me. He, I belong in a covenant relationship with him that he will never forsake. That's who I am. So take the name of the Lord your God in earnest. Well, the currency of connectedness is a lot of times this is taking the name of others in order to establish my worth. And that's a currency that we can trade in. We live in a city of celebrity. We're tempted to name drop for the sake of establishing my credibility with you. Think about the darkness of that. Is I'm basically saying, I'm worth more because I'm not just me, but I'm me and I know this person over here. So you should regard my worth because I can take this other person's name. Connectedness is a currency in this city. Ability is another one. What we're good at. No one, no one wants to be perceived as a hack. You just, you just don't. You want people to know what it is that you do, to admire you for the way that you do it, to think of you as good at what you do. And not everything about that is wrong, by the way. There's something good about that, of wanting to be really good at what we do, of wanting to use God-given talents and intentionally cultivated skill to serve. But do you know what it feels like to be around people and to have this feeling of, I'm better at what you do than you are, and you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm capable of. You have no idea what's inside of me, and you don't seem interested 
in even knowing that. And it's a lonely, isolating place, isn't it? That you want, I want to trade in this currency of my ability. And it's like, the, your, your money's no good here, kid. You know, it's that sort of thing. It's a currency. Reputation. You want folks to know who you are before they meet you. You want them to just sort of know about you and to admire what they know about you. For many, it isn't that we want people to like us. When we talk about reputation, many of us would say, I don't care what people think about me. And that may be mostly true. I know for me in my life, where reputation has been a crippling currency for me, uh, when I first started off in ministry in Kansas City, I went to this church, I worked at this church, and there was one guy in this church. He wasn't on staff. He wasn't a leader in the church. He didn't have any power over the outcome of my job or anything, but he did not like me. And I wanted him to like me. I couldn't understand why he didn't. It didn't make any sense to me at all why he wouldn't like me. I'd never done anything to him to offend him. And I'll tell you what happened. The church that I served shrunk down to one person, and it was this guy. And all I cared about was whether he liked me or not. And all I felt was that he didn't. Reputation is a currency. Fourth is title. This one's particularly good for the introvert um, because title as a currency is... Uh, it's sort of like reputation, ability, and connectedness uh, depersonalized. It, it's like, uh, I don't need you to like me for my ability and I don't need you to respect my reputation, and I don't really need you to know who I know because I'm your boss. And that's it. I'm just in charge of you. I got this title. I'm the boss of you. You're not the boss of me. That's the currency we trade in. It doesn't matter what you think about me because I hold all the cards. And for some of us, title is so important. I don't want to be the assistant regional or the assistant to the regional manager. I want to be the <laughs> assistant regional manager. That's the title, and it matters. Just those little words, they, they matter. There's this title that we trade in. But then there's money, and, and, and there's dangers, mistakes that we make when we start to talk about money from the Bible, and one of them is that we only stay where we just were, and that is in the allegory of currency. But Scripture talks so much about money, 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 money itself, actual money. And so we need to do this. There's three mistakes that we make when we talk about money and when we think about money. And the first is that we immediately spiritualize it into an allegory. It's important for us to think about connectedness and ability and reputation and, and, and title as currencies and to understand how we function in that. But it's also important for us to understand that Jesus talked about money a lot. And it wasn't a spiritual allegory. He was talking about cold, hard cash and our relationship with it. And here's the thing about money. Here's why it's so important for us is it tells the truth. How we spend our money reveals so much about us. It's hard to argue with it. We spend money on what we want our lives to look like. Where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to understand that, yeah, it's important for you to understand the currencies, but you also do have to talk about money because it tells a story that is probably more unvarnished and, and, and plain than all the other ways you would package all those other conversations. So it's a mistake when we immediately spiritualize the discussion of money into an allegory. It's also a mistake when we think that only people um, with money need to think about money. You ever do that? You think, why, 
why do I need to think about money? Because I don't have any, you know? I don't have any, if I don't have any money, there's no point in talking about it. Here's the logical flaw with that. When you don't have money is when you form your financial habits. When you don't have money, or when you don't have a lot of money, when you don't have excess, when you don't have what we <sighs> tragically call disposable income, when you don't have that and you're tight and everything is just down to the wire, that's when you're making your most calculated financial decisions. So let me illustrate that for you. Which is easier? If you have $100 to give 10 or if you have $10,000 to give 1000 which is a harder decision? Which is a harder check to write? I know for me, if I only have $100, giving 10 is much easier to do than if I have 10000 and I'm writing a check for 1000 So when we don't have money, or we don't have a lot of money, or we don't have disposable income, we're developing financial habits. We're mindful of where it's going. So don't underestimate the formative power that money has on you when you don't believe that you have enough to warrant it. And also, don't underestimate the power in your heart to love money, especially when you don't have a lot of it. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I personally have never loved money more than when I wanted it and didn't have it. The dream of, oh, if only, if only I could get this much money, here's the th way that my life would so dramatically improve. That's a love of money, and there's all kinds of darkness behind that. The third mistake that we make when thinking about money is we think that the desires that money stirs up in us must be evil, that we shouldn't want anything to do with the stuff that money awakens in us. When in reality, there's a lot that, that money awakens in us, desires, that are God-given desires. That's why Jesus talks about it in the way that he does. As he's saying, you, you, in, in God's design of this world, you live in an economy. You have to. It's the way that it's made. So you can't just go live off the grid in a place where there is no economy. Even if you're alone on a deserted island, there's an economy. There's what you put in and what you get out. And it's all part of the way that God made things. And there's desires in you that money awakens. And some of those desires are really important for you to connect with. What do I mean by that? Money makes promises. It promises things like Security, identity, I'm upper middle class, or I'm middle class, or I'm poor, or, you know, whatever it is that it gives you a sense of identity, your place, your position in the world. Money gives you hope for the future, does it? Or at least it awakens a sense of hope for the future. Money promises joy. It promises joy for you. It promises self-worth. And here's the thing, your heart was made to want those things. Your heart was made to want security and identity and position and hope for the future and joy. The problem isn't with the desires that money awakens. The problem it lies in where we look to have those desires met. You were made to know where you stand. You were made to know if you have a secure future, if you have an identity. See, the thing is, is money 
makes the same promises to you that the gospel makes. It's just that the means of arriving at those promises is so radically different. One of them is about a gracious God providing for you, and the other is about you working your fingers to the bone to provide for yourself. All those things. And this is why Jesus says you can't serve God in money because they're competing with your heart. They promise the same things in competing ways. And when you serve two masters, Jesus says, here's what happens. You end up loving one and you end up hating the other one. It's important for us to think about money and how does a life where I'm saying, Lord, the gospel is transforming me. It's transforming me. Everything that I need for life and godliness, I've been given. So how do I live in this world where we deal in currency, where there's wealth and there's material things? And it's a conversation that you can't have without talking about idolatry. That's really where we are is the affection of your heart. What do you want to worship What do you love? Your financial life reveals so much in response. What do you daydream about? You know, what do you get a rise of out of, what do you get a rise out of emotionally when you think about finances? Something comes along and you think, if I had that, I could do this. Oh, that would be awesome. I can tell you one of the earliest memories that I have of this, of of having just this visceral emotional response to this love and longing for money is the very first time I got my hands on a musician's friend catalog. You ever heard of these things? They're this, yeah. I mean, like, oh. It's just page after page after page of instruments and recording equipment and all this beautiful, wonderful stuff. And And they all say things like, you know, this, you know, Cheap Korean guitar could sell for $1,200, but you can get it for $300. And you just think it's like bad stewardship not to buy it. You know, the deal. I got to do this. It's, Im- it's important. And then you start adding it all up, and then you start thinking, if I had $1,000, I could do this. But if I had $2,000, I could do it. I really need $3,000, though, because if I had $3,000, I could put together a home studio. And then you start thinking, me, okay, I start thinking, okay, I'm gonna, if I have a home studio, I become a rock star. And if I become a rock star, everybody loves me. And so musician's friend is the key to everybody loving me. And so what I need, though, is money, right? That's how it works. That's where our heart goes. And it's this idolatry, this love, this affection. I want this, and to get this, I need money in order to give it. And money promises me, yeah, if you have enough of me, you'll have all of that. So it's important for us. What's your, what's, what's your musician's friend catalog? What is the thing that you just, you just get this response to and you think, oh, I would be so much more complete as a person if I just had that? Or flip it on its ear. What's your financial nightmare? What's your doomsday scenario? What's the thing if this didn't happen financially? I don't know that I could continue. Do you know? Jesus is calling us when when he tells us you can't serve both God and money. Inherent in that is a question. Do you serve money? Do you serve money? And we can't talk about serving money without understanding that what we really mean is worshiping money. What money stirs in us isn't in itself inherently evil. This desire to know our place in the world, to live free from worry, the problem comes when we trust money to give it. And the Lord says, no, 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 I do that. 
That's my job. I do that. I'm the one who tells you who you are. So we need a gospel-transformed view of money, and Jesus talks about it. We're so thankful that in his word, in so many places, he talks about stuff like this because it's important, and it's never an obsolete topic for us. We need to understand. Jesus doesn't have this in the Sermon on the Mount because he's just disgusted with people and their money. He's contending for us. This is grace. He's giving us this so that we have something to interact with. He's saying to us, wake up, wake up, because you can go blind in your understanding of how money works in your life. Like staring at the sun, the love of money can become a fixation that just blinds you to what's real. That's where he's talking about the eye being the lamp of the body. That's what he's getting at. He says, if, if, if the light in you is dark, how great is the darkness? He's saying, I want you to see truth. You need to understand the role that money has. You need to understand if money is an idol for you, if money is your God, you need to know that money is your God. And you need to repent of that idol worship. You need to reject that. You need to understand that it cannot give you what you want. And you need to understand that to love money in that way will only make you hate God. Because he doesn't want, he contends for you not to be self-sufficient but to be dependent upon Him. How dark is the darkness when the light inside of us goes out? Let me give you an example of this. Back in the 20s, early part of the 1900s, when the stock market crashed and the Depression hit, there were all these famous stories of, of formerly wealthy investment bankers jumping out of skyscraper windows to their death. You know? Why? Because... They lost their money. And it's so sad. And it's not just sad that they opted to end their own lives. It's that they did it for this reason, that they lost their money. See, they loved money. They loved money. Not the way Scrooge McDuck loves money and does the backstroke in a pool full of bullion, you know. Not that kind of love of money, but a holy reverence for money. My life is worth Nothing without it. Don't you wish you could have helped them? Don't you wish you could have come alongside them, put your arm around them there in their offices, they're opening the window and said, listen, it's just money. It's just money. But you realize what's going on. The light inside of them has gone dark and how great is the darkness. So we don't want that. But see, here's the catch. Is that despair, that love, that reverence for money didn't happen the day that they walked into the office that day. It was something that developed over time where they became blind over a period. And Jesus is contending for us to have our eyes open to this, that we cultivate a dependence, a love, a worship of money over time. How does it happen? Tim Keller talks about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And he describes how this happens. I need to warn you, this may make you upset. Not because it's graphic, not because it's gratuitous, but because I think Tim Keller shows us something that we're, most of us are probably blind to until I read it. So, you ready? Here it is. Why can't anyone in the grip of greed see it? The counterfeit god of money uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics. Everyone 
tends to live in some particular socioeconomic bracket. So what's yours? Your socioeconomic bracket that you live in. Once you're able to afford to live in a particular neighborhood, send your kids to its schools, participate in its social life, you will find yourself surrounded by quite a number of people who have more money than you. You don't compare yourself to the rest of the world. You compare yourself to those in your bracket. The human heart always wants to justify itself, and this is one of the easiest ways. You say, I don't live as well as him or her or them. My means are modest compared to theirs. And you can reason and think like that no matter how lavishly you're living. As a result, most Americans think of themselves as middle class, and only 2% call themselves upper class. But the rest of the world is not fooled. When people visit here from other parts of the globe, they are staggered to see the level of materialistic comfort that the majority of Americans have come to view as a necessity. <laughs> that's me. I mean, that's just me, you know? I regard myself financially by how I relate to other people that are kind of in my economic, socioeconomic sameness. And that's normal. That's the scope of the currency that I trade in my economy. It's amazing, isn't it? See, we become people who feel indignation toward the high rollers who spend $6,000 on a purse on Fifth Avenue, but we wouldn't be caught dead wearing jeans from Walmart. How do we get there? You know? Money. Money. And Jesus is saying, open your eyes. Recognize that money can hold the place of God in your life. It can tell you who you are. And he's calling us out into the light of what's true that the lamp of the body would be light, that our eyes would be open to what our hearts are really longing for and made for. Jesus isn't writing this passage. He's not speaking these words in the Sermon on the Mount because he wants you to handle your money in a particular way. There are wise ways for people to handle their money, no question. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is you being free. You being free from the enslavement that money brings. You have access to the throne of grace where God hears you, where God loves you, where God has a purpose for your life. And Jesus is saying, understand that it's very possible, even likely, that you are a slave to the God of money that you have made. And if you're a slave to the God of money that you have made, the chances are really, really good that you're angry and even hateful toward the one who has called you to himself and has said, I, I know who you really are. I know what you're really worth. Jesus is contending, don't be enslaved by this, but be transformed by the freedom that you have in the gospel. And what does the gospel say? It says, everything that you need, you've been given. Everything that you need, you've been given for life and godliness. So repent of your disbelief. Give in the generosity that believes that you lack nothing. You lack Nothing, and set your affection on Christ and lean into what he says as true. Ebenezer Scrooge, at the end of the Christmas carol, not Scrooge McDuck, different Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, from the Dickens book, opens scheming ways to keep his wealth. 
hoarding it, looking for ways to cut corners and to, and to deny requests for, for warmth and shelter and food and withholding all of that. And when he sees the ugliness of it, the darkness, when the light comes in, what happens? It's not that he ceases to be a man who's scheming about money, but he becomes a man who's scheming ways to use the resources at his disposal to bless. He begins to understand, I have been given an incredible resource here, and I want to lavish the people in need around me with this. What would it look like? Examine your own attitude toward money. Examine what you spend it on most effortlessly and what it means for you practically. You don't own anything. You don't own anything. You're a steward, and money is a tool. And it's something that you can use for good, and it's something that you can use to enslave your own heart. May the prayer on our lips be, Lord, deliver me from the slavery and tyranny of worshiping money as a God. And instead, would you set my heart free to delight in the present reality that you are my God, and in you I lack nothing, nothing. Pray with me. Lord, you, you, the economy of the life that we live is, is such because you've made the world to work a particular way. And we, with money and everything else, uh, just invent ways of turning them into idols. And uh, Father, we confess that and we repent of that acknowledging even that, that part of the condition of having idolatrous hearts is that there's so much about our own idolatry that we're just blind to, that we can't even see, we don't even know we're doing it. We've so normalized it um, that we don't understand that we have um, idols that we worship in place of you. So Father, would you help us to, to see what's true? Would you show us our idols? Would you give us the courage and the honesty of, of heart to just examine ourselves as, as financial people, as, as people who live in an economy? Would you help us to understand the currencies that we trade in, but not to spiritualize away or allegorize away really looking at money? Uh, Lord, this, this has the potential to just have so much power over us. I pray that, that you would set us free. I pray for people in this room, Lord, right now who are in the midst of, of significant, weighty financial commitments. I pray that you would give them a lightness of heart uh, and, and a joy in their relationships and knowing that you, you are faithful to provide, um, that, that you everything that we need comes from your hand. Um, even, Lord, when sometimes that means that, that, we, that we don't get what we hoped. Um, Father, I pray for, for um, everybody in this room that you would use our financial stories to show us the deepest longings of our hearts and would you make us to be people who find such deep affection for you then in knowing your provision for us and would you make us to be people who are quick to repent of our greed and quick to repent of the way that we worship uh, and bow down to and look to money to do things for us that you alone can do. Uh, it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things, and for your glory, amen and amen.